Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I'm glad each one of you are here because this is the day <clears throat> excuse me, that the Lord has made, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Where's my little water here? One time I don't have it. Okay. Thanks, darling. You know, um, Vi and I were married in February, February 6th. And a lot of people say, why would you get married in February? And, and it's, I don't know. We just wanted to. But anyway, February 6th was our anniversary. And also, um, you know, Valentine's Day was just last week. So Vi and I decided to do a little getaway to kind of celebrate our, um, you know, Valentine's Day, but also the day we met. And we met at the Hollywood. And any of you who uh, graduated from Cortland, SUNY Cortland, probably just me, but any of you who, well, Nikki, but she's not here. The Hollywood was the place that all the kids went, you know, to hang out and have pizza. And that's where I met Vi. Our first meeting was at the Hollywood. So we went there and uh, to get, of course, the traditional pizza and so forth. And the waitress, we asked her to take a picture of us standing by the jukebox because one of the things of the Hollywood is that it's, it's like 80 years old and they've never changed. They keep the same decor. It's new stuff, but the same decor. So we had a picture of us taken by the jukebox and the young girl asked, you know, uh, what's the occasion? We explained the whole thing to her. We met here and, and all that. And um, so Vi and I are sitting there eating our meal. And all of a sudden, Vi started tearing up and crying. And, of course, I started tearing up and crying. And it was, without even speaking a word, we knew it was the same thing. And, you know, a couple things. Number one, it's like you walk through a time warp. You know, you're sitting where you first met, you know, and 49 years have gone by. And all this happened in that 49 years. But it's also such a reminder of where the Lord has brought us to. You know what I'm saying? I mean, 49 years later, you know, children and grandchildren and, and so forth. And I was thinking of, of um, well, number one, all you guys should remember to take your wife to someplace where you first met. It's very, not just a romantic thing, it's very encouraging. But what it made me think about is how much more true is that of our relationship with the Lord. There was that one time we met the Lord, and every one of us knows where that was. And I don't know about you, but I look back, and I'm so very thankful for stepping through that door and following Jesus. And everything that's happened in that time, there's nothing I would change. Not even the difficulties, not even the hardships. There's nothing I'd change because we're still moving forward with the Lord. And what a blessing it is for those of us that are getting a little bit older to recognize that one day we're going to walk through another door either death or the rapture. And we're, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to see him as he is. And so for the Christian, it's just a no-win situation. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die, that's gain. Yeah. It's a no-lose. Did I say no-win situation? <laughs> see, see, that's why I have a wife. <laughs> it's a no-win situation. Oh, gee. <laughs> It's a no-lose situation, but it really isn't. You know, I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's just such a beautiful thing. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you. Let's pray. Oh, by the way, the young waitress, you know, she told me, she said, I graduated from Cortland. And I said, uh, you did? I said, what was your major? And she said, geophysics. So I didn't ask her any questions. Hang on. <laughs> 
Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for gathering us together this morning. And I pray that as we go over this portion of Scripture, it would speak to our hearts and encourage our souls and help us to draw closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Exodus chapter 25, and I want to read to you from, um, this is Charles Henry McIntosh's commentary, and he was born in 1820. You know, it's a real problem when your favorite author has been dead for 150 years because you're not looking to any new works. <laughs> but I want to share with you what he, this is his introduction to Exodus chapter 25, Macintosh's in, introduction. And a couple things really hit me as I was looking at it. And this is the one thing he said in relationship to this introduction. He said, to deal with life. How many of you have ever dealt with life? You know, to deal with life, this is what he said, to deal with life by the aid of intellect's unsanctified power would be infinitely more absurd than to set about to repair a watch with a blacksmith's tongue and hammer. And older people know what that is. Um, and it says, the pattern of things in heaven's cannot be interpreted by the nature of mind. And I was reading that, and there's another uh, portion I want to share too, but when I was reading that, it made me think of how silly sometimes we can be. Because when we have a problem, we take it to the Lord. When we have a big problem, we take it to the Lord for a while. And then if the Lord doesn't seem to answer, we're looking for all kinds of human solutions. You know, if you have a computer, you go online and you figure out, what is, what is the computer going to tell me about this or that? And what a sad thing of it is, because that's what he's saying, to try to deal with the things of God, with the things of the soul that only God is capable of doing. You might as well get an anvil, and that's what a tongue, anvil tongue is, an anvil and hammer, and try to repair a watch. And this one was really interesting in the, his introduction to chapter 25. <clears throat> the print on this is really small. So if you wonder why. I'm... Listen to this. The ark and the brazen altar represent, as it were, two extremes. Now, let me just share something because we haven't covered that part yet. But you had in the court you had the brazen altar. And that's where the offerings were made for sin, for the sacrifice for sin. And then it was taken in, and you had the holy place. That was inside the covering area. You had the holy place where the table of showbread was and the menorah and the altar of incense. And then when you went into the holy of holies, even further in the most holy place, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. So the brazen altar is outside the tent, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Okay? So keep that in mind as I read this. Okay, the Ark and the Brazen uh, Altar represent, as it were, two extremes. The former, the Ark of the Covenant, was the throne of God established in justice and judgment. And that is in Psalm 89.14. The latter, the Brazen Altar, uh, was the place of approach for the sinner where mercy and truth were before Jehovah's face. 
man in himself dared not approach the ark to meet God for the way uh, had not been to the holiest place had not been made yet. Of course, talking about Jesus Christ. Um, and that tells us that in Hebrews 9, 8. Listen to this. But God could approach the altar of brass and meet man as a sinner. In other words, man was not capable of going into the Holy of Holies. So God came from the Holy of Holies to the uh, basin of brass to meet us. And that's how it still is. You know, sometimes we're thinking, if I just get to this level, if I just get here, God is coming to meet us right where we are. He's always coming to meet us right where we are. And we can trust him for that because he's loving, kind, merciful, just. He totally wants to minister to our needs. Now, in this portion, we're in chapter 25. It's all about free will offerings, giving of ourselves. And uh, all we give to the Lord is to be of our own free will, it's telling us. It's not forced, or is it to be given reluctantly? Everything we give to the Lord should be freely. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 17, it says, Every man shall give, listen to this, as he is able. I mean, God is so just. You know what I'm saying? He's not saying every man is to, every man is to give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Well, you've decided in your heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And hilaros is the word there in the Greek for cheerful. And you know what we translate it to in the English? Think about it. Hilaros is hilarious. So it literally says, God loves a hilarious giver. And just think of how neat that would be. And people say, oh, it's time for the offering plate to come. <laughs> I have to bring it here. I can't wait. <laughs> this is great. I mean, that's what it's literally saying. God loves a hilarious giver. You know, and if a person is giving, they're like, I don't <laughs> keep it. That's what God is saying. Just give as the Lord has enabled you. Give hilariously with, you know, just joy. And also, giving is supposed to be for the work of the Lord. It's not supposed to be a burden. It's supposed to be a joy. And it's not a sacrifice, but it's a privilege. And we will find, we're going to find in this portion, that giving is more than money. As a matter of fact, the most important thing that any one of you can give to the Lord is yourself. Not only in your salvation, giving yourself to the Lord, but Lord, here I am. Remember that verse of Scripture? Here I am. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Whatever you want me to do. You want me to talk to this man? You want me to talk to this woman? You want me to visit this neighbor? You want me to visit that neighbor? You want me to take cookies over here? You want me? Whatever it is, here I am. Use me. You know, and I'm not trying to get off topic, but keeping in order of what we're talking about here. Like, for instance, our church is going to be getting involved in, in New Hope and um, the Pregnancy Crisis Center. And one of the things that they need are counselors. They also need funding. They need supplies. And so as we're able, we should be willing to give. But the point is, 
it says as the Lord purposes in your heart. So you want to make sure this is what the Lord is showing you to do. But if the Lord is showing you to do something, either to be a counselor or to be someone who financially contributes to the ministry or, or brings in diapers or whatever else has to be brought in, that's what you do, whatever the Lord is showing you. And this is where we pick up in, in uh, Exodus 25 and verse 1. I'm only doing verses 1 through 9, and then Pastor Frank Jr. will be picking up after that. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. See what I'm saying? It has to be willingly. It has to be from your heart. You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Now understand, uh, as we continue on, we're going to find this is all in preparation for building the tabernacle in the wilderness and all the artifacts for the tabernacle for worship, okay? And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, that's for the menorah, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And when we get to the ephod and the breastplate, it's going to blow your mind. It was a way of somehow that they communicated with the Lord. The Hebrew alphabet was on the ephod, on the back of each one of the stones. And it is believed that they possibly lit up and literally spelled out God's message to the people. Only the high priest wore it in approaching God. Well, it's going to be exciting when we get to that. Verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may, that I may dwell among them according to all that I, allow, that I show you. That is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just as you shall make it. Now, take notice that none of this was for human profit. All of this was for worship of the Lord. It was all for the purpose of coming in the presence of the Lord as a, as a community, as a body of believers and worshiping him. That's what it was all about. And we're going to find that every single thing that's mentioned here was given for this building for the sole purpose of worshiping the Lord. You know, God wasn't establishing this building just so people could say, oh, what a beautiful building. And that's why the tabernacle in the wilderness in some ways was even, to me, in my heart, more magnificent than the temple. Because the temple had a lot of man's ideas and a lot of man's concepts thrown into it. But this was directly from God. And it was curtains. It was skins of animals and dyed skin. You understand what I'm saying? It was just so earthy, so to speak. Because the focus wasn't the building the focus was the Lord. Everything was talking about coming into the presence of the Lord. From the court of the Gentiles to the court of the priests with the brazen altar to the holy place, you know, to the holy of holies. It was all. And, and when we get to that, we'll, we'll talk about what each part of that represented as far as coming into the presence of the Lord. Now, you and I, of course, we understand that as believers, we have something that the Jews didn't have. We can go into the holiest of holies. Remember when Jesus died on the cross and there was a great earthquake? Remember what it tells us happened? What was it? The veil was torn from top to bottom. That veil would have been about that thick. 
And there it was, the Holy of Holies was opened. And so now, through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is also called our veil, we're able to approach right into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. I mean, you, you think what the Jews long for, we have through Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? It's all about worshiping Him. So in the same way as far as giving is concerned, our giving should be for the operation and ministry of the church and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might show service to God. That's the reason for it. And it's not for financial gain of anyone in charge of the ministry. That's what it's not about. It's about the ministry of the church. You know, I'm not going to be up here like when the TV evangelists were real popular and saying, well, I'm telling you, the Lord has put it in my heart that I'm supposed to have my own private Learjet. And, you know, that's going to be, we need to collect $3.2 million. And also I have to have a salary, salary of 125000 a year for the pilot. And the Lord has put it in my heart. And so it's up to you to give. If you're obedient to the Lord, you will give. That, I'm sorry to say, is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. And that whole doctrine that came out, you know, the whole prosperity doctrine. Let me be honest with you. It was all about the prosperity of those preaching it. But the reality is we're supposed to be humble before the Lord. Not all, you know, whatever. We're supposed to be just humble before the Lord. Now, the Lord does not want our cast-offs. makes it very clear in Scripture. He wants our best. The reality is what is our best? Whatever we're capable of giving. Maybe someone can give the Lord this much, and that's their best. Maybe we can only give the Lord this much, but that's our best. The Lord simply wants our best. He does not want our cast-offs. He wants us to give to Him as we're able to. And um, also understand that God did not need a thing from the people. He created the universe. You think he's in heaven saying, oh, I hope they give something so I can build. God doesn't need anything from us. He created the universe. And so we have to realize that God is simply giving us the privilege to participate in his work. Such a wonderful thing. I remember years ago, I uh, gave this illustration, and uh, Larry Daldell still talks about it and thinks about it. But when our grandson, Kenny, he's, he's 22 and in the Air Force now, so it's, but when he was probably about uh, three or four years old, he used to love to do, this is what he called it, big work with Pop-Pop. And so um, I remember one spring, like most people do, we were cleaning our garage out. And Kenny's out there, and he can't do much. You know, he's just this little kid. He's like three years old or something like that. And I'm out there, and I'm mopping, and he's doing all this. But he's just doing big work with Pop-Pop. And he was so happy. And after it was all done, was, look what we did. Look, you know, oh, he did this big work with Pop-Pop. When in reality, he didn't do much of anything. You know, I did it all. And that's the way it is in our relationship with the Lord. We're doing big work with Daddy. We are. We're doing big work with our, with our father. And in reality, we're doing... Dee, 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 and he's doing all the rest. You know, we go in and we, you know, scratch the surface and his Holy Spirit comes in and does the rest. It's all the Lord. And that's the reason we should never take any pride 
Because pride comes before what? Before the fall. We should never take pride in anything God is working through us. We should be thanking God. Jesus, thank you for using me. I don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. And that's what it's all about. Consider even King David uh, in his relationship with giving. Now, let me share with you what happened so you have an idea. King David went against the word of God and he took a census of his people. And you might think, what's wrong with the census? Well, for whatever reason, well, I, I, I know why, but God didn't want them to take a census because you know why people took a census in that day? To see how strong they were. To see if we had enough in order to go against this one or go against that one. God didn't want them to take a census because it was all God. You didn't have to know the numbers. But David went and he took a census. So the plague broke out, broke out on the people, among the people. And so a prophet came to David and said, this is because you took a census. And he said, God has given you two choices. You know, either you can be disciplined by God or you can be disciplined by your enemies. And David said, let me fall into the hands of God, not my enemies. And so then after the plague had gone on for a little while, the prophet came back to David and told him that he needed to make a sacrifice. He needed to make a sacrifice. Um, and it's interesting, we're going to find out where it was. To the Lord. Now, in Second Samuel, if you want to turn there, and so this is where David was told to make the sacrifice, and this Arna is the, it was a Jebusite. And the Jebusites were the original occupants of what we now call Jerusalem. Okay, so he goes to Arna, and in Second Samuel twenty-four, go to verse twenty-four. Verse 24. Because let me just explain something. Aaron and I recognized King David and what a great guy he was and what a great you know, warrior he was and how he had blessed you know, his people in this area. So Aaron and I said, no, look, you want to you offer a sacrifice here? I'm giving you this mountain, this mound. I'm giving it to you. You don't have to pay for it. And this is what David says in 2 Samuel 24, starting with verse 24. Then, king David, then the king said to Aaron, no, but I will surely buy it for you, uh, I will buy it from you for a price. In other words, the price he was originally asking. Nor, listen, listen to this, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. He was unwilling to give that which cost him nothing. He wanted it to be a, you know, a sacrifice. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, which was the price of that you know, the price it would have been of that threshing floor. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord heeded the, prayer, the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Now, the threshing floor of Arnah was on Mount Moriah, which is where the temple was built. So when David offered that offering to the Lord to stop the plague from coming, it was the very place where the temple would be built and the Holy of Holies would be. And you see, God has offered a sacrifice that cost him a lot that the plague of sin would be removed from us. What a beautiful illustration we have here. God paid the ultimate price 
He didn't say, I'm going to do it for nothing. I'm not going to charge. He paid the ultimate price that we might be free from the plague of sin. You see, when you love someone, you look for ways to express that love. Isn't that pretty natural? You want to, you want to express that love. And it's not only the giving our, of ourselves, but be, being willing to sacrifice for the needs of others. You know, a lot of times it's easier to give money to do this or to do that. But we know the needs of others. Are we willing, you know, to give of ourselves? In James, I want you to turn there, if you would, please, with me, chapter 2. And this is a very convicting portion of Scripture. It should be, anyway, for all of us. In James, chapter 2, go to verse 14. James, chapter 2, and verse 14. That's towards the end of your Bible, just before Hebrews. James, chapter 2, and verse 14. Listen to this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And what it's talking about there is our love and our willingness to sacrificially give to the needs of others. You know, like let's say someone came to you and, and said, oh, man, it's freezing outside and I, I don't even have the money to buy a coat. And you have five coats in your closet. And you say, go in peace and be warm. I'll pray for you that God will provide. Well, maybe the Lord's calling you to provide. You follow what I'm saying? And so we have to understand that that willingness has to be there. I remember way back, way long, long time ago, and I, I wasn't even in the ministry. We were attending a church in the Elmira area. And um, we had actually a, a small tornado came through the area. And one of the members of our church, and they weren't very wealthy members, but um, they had the roof torn off of their house with the tornado. And because it was considered an act of God, you know how a lot of insurance companies write their policy, it wasn't going to be covered. So here you had this family, this young family, that had half the roof torn off. And it was like they had no idea what they were going to do. Then there was another family in our church that were a little better off. You know, he was an engineer and, and, and so forth. They were a little bit better off. And he and his family had saved up to go to Disneyland with the kids. And the Lord spoke to his heart, and he talked to his wife and his children, and they were in full agreement, and they gave their vacation money to put the new roof on, on the house. That's what's being talked about here. That's the kind of love that we're to have for one another. And it's for the purpose of the Lord. We're just serving the Lord. We're just one family together serving God. Now, consider the, the, the love that God showed us. And we all, we can quote this portion by heart in John three sixteen through 17. God so loved the world that he gave. Isn't that awesome? God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, so often when people think of God coming and say, good, he's going to come and he's going to get all these bad guys. Well, when God first came to the world in the form of Jesus Christ, he did come to get all the bad guys saved and bring them to heaven. And that needs to be our attitude. I hope God gets these bad guys. No, I hope the Lord gets these bad guys and brings them to himself and they get saved. They're born again. It's so easy to have a negative attitude towards people or people groups and like that. Like we see the things that are happening in our world and in our country and, and sometimes it's very, very concerning. But what I've mentioned, I think, in the past couple of weeks that we always have to keep in mind is this. We don't hate gays. We hate their lifestyle. We don't hate fornicators. We hate their lifestyle. We don't hate drug addicts. We hate their lifestyle and what, the light, what it's doing to them. We don't hate anybody. We don't hate Muslims. We don't hate anybody. We love people. We don't hate what this world is doing to them. And our purpose and desire is to bring the light of truth. Because it's only in the truth that anyone can be what? Set free. Only in the truth can anyone be set free. Because if you're trying to go in and just try to debate and argue their point of view, you're no different in the world. You follow what I'm saying? You're just doing a debate. Well, you believe this. Well, I'm telling you, I don't believe this. You believe this. I think this is what it is. But when you go there bringing the love of Jesus Christ, because here's the point, just to use an example. Let's say you have a neighbor on this side, and they're just plain normal couple, and you have neighbors on this side, and it's a gay couple. And they both have a need. Whose need should you assist in? Both. Because it's not the lifestyle. It's the work of God that you're called to do. And there are more people that are brought to faith by grace and mercy. In fact, you and I are brought to faith by grace, mercy, and love, right? How many of you here earned it? Raise your hand. And so, therefore, we need to show grace, mercy, and love towards everyone. But sometimes we have such a attitude because we, we recognize that this lifestyle is sin, but there are so many lifestyles that are sin. And why is it we categorize? Well, these lifestyles of sin are bad. These lifestyles of sin are really bad. They're equally bad. They're equally, uh, I shouldn't say bad, they're offensive to God. They're against his word. And so we need to be willing to reach out and to love all people for the Lord. Um, And I love what Paul tells us uh, about giving. And if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians, and he's uh, talking about the church at Macedonia. Macedonia, turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. And uh, I love this. And understand, when we're talking about giving, what I mentioned at the beginning. It's not just money. It's not just your resources. It's yourself as well. Giving of yourself. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verses 1 through 4, listen to what Paul writes. He said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you 
the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely, willingly imploring us with such urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of of ministering to the saints. Can you imagine how amazing that would be if people were coming to to us and saying, please let me give. (laughs) Please let me give to the ministry of the church. No, I don't know. It says, hold off. But they were imploring, and it says beyond even their ability. And once again, we, I can't encourage you enough to keep in mind, we're not only talking about finances. How many times, and, and uh, some of you younger people might not understand this as much, but when you get older, boy, I'll tell you, when evening comes, it's like someone pulled the shade down, not only to the outside, but to every bit of energy you have. And the evening comes, and you're like, But what if at that time you receive a phone call from someone who needs to talk to you, someone who needs to be ministered to? What do you do? You give beyond what you're even able to. How many times when we were so exhausted and so tired or maybe even so tapped out financially that we didn't think we could minister to anyone, but because God called us, we go ahead and do it. And wow, so often it's such a blessing, such a real blessing. Lord, just put it on my heart to encourage you guys to uh, pray for Michelle's mother, Alice. I don't know if all of you know, she fell last week and uh, she broke some bones in her feet and like that. And, and she really is in, in a tough shape. She, she might even have to go to a, a rehabilitation center. We don't know for sure, but um, uh, she's at Krause Hospital. Uh, keep her in, in prayer because uh, she's, she's a sweet lady, you know. And for when I say this, some of you young people are going to be thinking, what? But for those of us, she's only 68. <laughs> you know, that's not that old anymore. And, and um, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we just lift Alice up, Lord, and, and we pray that you would bless her and strengthen her and that you would really work a miracle in her body, that the healing would take place more quickly than anyone could have imagined, that she'd be able to get her footing and and be able to take care of herself. And be with Bob as well, Lord, and encourage him and give him your strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They're here in the second service. They sit in the second row back. And Bob is is such a sweet guy. (laughs) He sleeps there every night. The hospital. He won't leave his wife alone. Pretty cool. Anyway, keep them in prayer, please. Now, in verses 8 and 9, the Lord does not say that he would dwell in the sanctuary, but among them. Notice that. Look at those verses. It doesn't say he's going to dwell in the sanctuary. He's going to dwell among them. And as I mentioned last week, this building is not the church. This is where the church meets. You're the church. Do you understand that? You're the church. We think of a church as being some building, some edifice. It's not. You are the church. And as I mentioned last week, when you go home, the church goes with you. Because you are the church. In 2 Kings chapter 8, 
Verses 27 through 30, it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? It was just a sign of his presence. It was a manifestation of his presence in the holy of holy places, what the children of Israel were going to build. build. But God didn't live there. Just like in the church, God doesn't live in my office. You know, and here's what it says. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much more this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servants and his supplication, O Lord my God. And listen to the cry and prayer which your servant is praying before you, uh, before you today. That your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the, the place of which you said, My name shall be there, and you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. You see, the church, our personal, you know, devotions with the Lord, it's all about reaching up to Him. And the only reason we're able to is because He reaches down to us. You know, it's just like this morning, and it was such a, a blessing, Andy and Liz. And I was walking down the aisle, and little Sophia, who's in her grandpa's arms right now, she comes running to me <laughs> with her arms up. Now, she's not the one who got in my arms. She just reached up to me. I picked her up and put her in my arms, and she put her head in here, and <laughs> she's hanging on like this. And, of course, being the hard-hearted guy I am, I started crying. But anyway, um, you know, she just hugged me. And you see, that's how we are. We run to our Lord and we're like, we're not jumping into his arms. He reaches down and he picks us up. And we just snuggle into him because he's such a loving father. And so you have to understand, when you go home, the church, the presence of God goes with you. Because... He is to be among us, like we just said. God is so awesome. His gift of salvation is so free. There's no reason anyone would ever reject it. And that's why I tell you, if there's anyone ever here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, commit your life to him. It's going to, it's going to turn your life around. Because this is going to be a revelation to all of you, I'm sure. And, and forgive my vernacular, okay? But in general, life sucks. In general, it does. So we could walk around like, all the time, poor me, oh, this life is so hard. And it is. Or we could walk around with the joy of the Lord in our heart. Life is difficult. Life does have a lot of, you know, hard twists and turns. But I belong to Jesus. And God is guiding me. And through me, he's going to use me to minister to others. He's going to use others to minister to me. And one day we're all going to be together in heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it will be. That's the truth of God's word. And before I pray, I, I just wanted you to know, because some of you might be wondering... Um, when we went to get the uh, cups for communion, the place was supposed to be open for a, at a cert, to a certain time, and they closed two hours early, so we weren't able to get communion cups. So it was either um, save communion until next week or have each of you come up, and I'd have a half gallon of, of uh, Welsh's grape juice and just kind of pour a little bit in as you came. 
So we decided to wait till next week. We'll have, we're having our, our family church dinner, you know, uh, after the second service, but communion will be next week. Now, the good thing about me thinking communion was this week is you're through uh, a little bit early, right? <laughs> Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word and for the truth that we find in it. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would truly and honestly and fully bless to our understanding the portion that we covered this morning. We give you thanks for all things because you are God and you are worthy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.